Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. You can hear it, ladies and gentlemen, the chirping of summer birds and the roar of the engines. Those of you who are not race fans, suck it up and watch and listen anyway, because this is business. It's big business. It's Indy 500 business. The Indy 500 at the end of this Memorial Day month and the Indy Grand Prix beginning of it and all business, all sports, all economic impact in Indianapolis. Dan Colarusso, our global editor for Reuters. What do you know about the indie racing, and do you care? I don't know as much about it as I'd like. As a casual fan, I do. I do know, though, that it is probably the most—it has become the model um, for business and sports sponsorships. If you look at NBA jersey sponsorships and, and the like. So, so, you know, I mean, race car drivers—I mean, I remember as a kid watching, you know, the Indy 500, they would change their caps— when they were up on the victory stand, right? right? They would have, like, Delco, then they would change it to, you know, whatever, Quaker State right. and things like that. So I think I think that it's a great alignment, um, and especially in these days with kind of the, the ability to fragment and isolate an audience, fragment in a good way, and isolate an audience that really is best catered to some of these, you know, sports that are less, that are big, but not quite the big five, you know? And, 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 and fragment's a pretty good segue into one of the problems that IndyCar had over time, because... Years ago, it was a Hatfield-McCoy split that was almost beyond repair, where two of the major components of the open-wheel racing, it's called, broke apart. And the guys that own Indy, the Hallman family, stuck to one brand, and everybody else stuck to another. Now they're back together. Sponsorship is up. Television's up. They just did a big deal with NBC for next year. We'll have Mark Miles on before the end of this month. He runs the whole show. And the bottom line is the racing industry, the open wheel variety, is getting better and better every 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 month. Right, right. But but again, there's that economy. And I think the interview you have this week with Lynn St. James is really interesting and in how she looks at, you know, what you have to do as a driver um, to keep the sponsors happy and keep your patron, your 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 patrons happy. And and, and you know, Lynn St. James is really interesting. Uh, she's the first woman in history to win the Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year Award, two victories in the 24 Hours of Daytona, one win at the 12 Hours of Sebring. More important than all of that, she started the Indy 500 nine times. Then she morphed into the Women's uh, Sports Foundation, has the Women in Winter Circle Foundation. Bottom line is she is a tremendous athlete that's done a lot of stuff that is off the racetrack. What do you remember about Lynn St. James? I, I actually don't remember much. Um, I do remember her racing. Because as as a sports fan, as a kid, you you, know, you follow these things, and it was a landmark as she as she got better and as 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 she became more prominent. But I she was kind of off my radar until you told me you had this interview, and it was a really it was a, it was a nice conversation. I think. Let's put her back on the radar. Women's Sports Foundation Title Nine Indy Five Hundred, Lynn St. James. Sports professor Rick Haro here with an American icon, Lynn St. James. There are a lot of American icons in this room, but this is a true. 
certifiable heroic American icon. Wow. What Can do you I, think I of think that? I should leave now. That was no, 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 no. We're not even done because no. uh, the you. IndyCar series, one of nine women who qualified for the Indy 500, two victories in the 24-hour of Daytona, won the 12-hour of Sebring, uh, team uh, uh, the 24-hour of Le Mans, 24-hour of Nuremberg. Uh, there's a lot here. Yeah, I've been doing it a long time. Do you miss it? I still do it. Oh yeah, no, and do it I, successfully. Yeah, I do actually. I, I ran the historic races in the 24 hours of Daytona in November, and I ended up running two cars: uh, a 2006 Ford GT and a 1974 Porsche RSR, 911 RSR. Came home with two trophies, um, so we did pretty good there. And I ran the Bonneville Salt Flats last year. I ran Watkins Glen. I ran the uh, vintage race at Indy. So I'm still doing it. I mean, how I love it. How 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 mad? are you at people who claim that, that race car drivers are not athletes? Well, I don't get mad, but I do have a conversation with them. Yes, you do. To be, yes, <laughs> to yes, be able to do. explain to them that, that we are athletes, certainly. I mean, we put heart rates on you know, race car drivers. We maintain 85% of our max cardiovascular the entire time we're in the car. Um, we don't you know, we don't carry the car, but we still have. Nobody's been able to really describe how much physical energy it takes to turn the steering wheel. And the car, you know, basically wants to only go straight. And so whether you're running an oval or whether you're running a road course, you have to turn a lot. And so we're still trying to figure out how to be able to tell that. And physically, um, I mean, just the footwork and the amount of energy it takes to put your foot on the brake when you're coming from, you know, 200 miles an hour to maybe 80 to be able to go through a corner. It's the G-forces and the energy it takes, so we are athletes completely. Of course you are. How has the, the racing changed in the last 15, 20 years? Well, it's gotten better, yeah. I think. Um, first of all, the technology of the cars is certainly so much better, but at the same time, the quality of the drivers is, there's more depth in the fields. There's always been great race car drivers, and there's always been great races, but I think because now any race if you have 30 cars or 33 cars or 22 cars in the field, probably any one of them are capable of winning, as opposed to maybe two or three or five or something. So there's a lot more competition, um, and I think the race, it makes the racing better. We'll talk about the philanthropy in a minute, because that's really, really important. But what about the business? Um, how, what, what are the big factors that have changed from a business perspective in the last 15, 20 years? Well, I mean, I, the one thing I don't miss is chasing sponsorship because that's really been a part of it. But I also recognized when I first started racing back in the seven, late 70s and, and the 80s is that this is a business. Once you transition from accepting anything, whether it's money or product, then you recognize it's a business. Um, now it's a very sophisticated business, um, where back then it was a little rougher, you know, it was a little, uh, B2B was a little more about personal relationships, right. where now it is truly a business venture and a business exercise. Um, and so, as always though, you really need to know, as a driver or a team owner, you need to know what you can do for the company, for the sponsor. They know what you, yeah. <laughs> what you want. <laughs> do most drivers, do most drivers get it? I think the ones that are out there that are successful do. Sure. Um, there's a lot of talented drivers that don't make it because they don't understand that part of it. Yeah. They think I'm going to win races, so everybody's going to want me. Yeah. Where it's it's got to, you've got to understand the business. From a philanthropic and charitable and foundation perspective, you're about to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Women in the Winter Circle Foundation. Uh, you founded in 1994, yeah, a while ago. That's right. Obviously, a seminal uh, event movement. Talk a little bit about that. 
Well, in the beginning, it was really about just trying to help. Um, and I found through learning through from my shiro, Billie Jean King, that if you get experts together um, and then provide um, education and provide opportunities, that you're going to help the next generation. So that's what I started 25 years ago. I right. hadn't done that math. And so um, for me, it's just about giving back. It's about if I can't benefit others through what I've learned, then it's pretty selfish. Well, but it's also humble because you've done more than give back. The movement has taken on more. Are you obviously uh, much more to do, Women's Sports Foundation, everything else? Are you, are you happy with where things are? You'll never be completely happy. No, in so fact, tell I was us, just talking to right. our buddy Greg Ballard. Yeah, I said, good. I need help yeah, right. <laughs> because we have no data. We have no data for women in racing. It's nothing statistic, no, no research. It's all anecdotal, what people think, what, you know, what somebody might do some counting. Okay, yeah. so I was the second woman to race at Indy. We don't need research company to know that. Yeah. Or that there have been nine women racing at Indy, which is fabulous. But we need data to be able to understand where the, the you know, where we, how we can make it better, you know? Because right. if, if we make the sport more inclusive, um, it'll, the sport's going to grow. We know that. And also it transcends. So Dan Towers, uh, with Greg's help, and you know, we've all been involved, the Indy Women in Tech Golf Championship, the tie-in with the Indy Race Car family in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it spreads the word. Training, uh, urban development, that's all very important in the future. Yeah, no, it is. We need education, um, but we need data to be able to know what direction to point ourselves. Where, where are you in five years? Oh, where am I in five years? Well, first of all, I'm going to be a grandma. Awesome. So, there you go. So I'm excited about that. Um, and I hope I'm sitting in, uh, hope I'm watching Victory Lane, and maybe in five years we actually have a woman win a major professional race in road racing or in NASCAR um, or in Indy. So I'd like that within the next five years. It is an honor and a pleasure to be with you. And everybody listening, I don't want any snide comments about you drive like my grandma, okay? After that, no more. None of those things. That's actually a, be a compliment. It would be a compliment in this case. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. it. It's interesting with Lynn St. James because she's known, obviously, in the indie circles, but when you listen to the interview, it's Title IX, it's Women's Sports Foundation. What's your takeaway? Um, my takeaway, you know, again, I'm, you know me, I'm not the big philanthropic guy around these things, but I, I did find it interesting is that she talked about the stark reality of being a successful driver and then becoming beholden to sponsors and and the people who finance your efforts and that to me that's that's particularly interesting these days because these rev these cross revenue streams that have to go whether it's TV rights whether it's sponsorship money whether it's Twitter money whatever that 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 revenue mix is you know it's it's again it's, it was an early sim, sim, symptom of the game being more than the game right uh, and I think that's kind of that was my interesting takeaway and she approached it and you know she approached it in a very uh, from my point of view you know you have to know what you can do for sponsors you have to understand your role in that relationship and and you know when you see so many players and so many athletes go off the rails and destroy their earnings power by you know whether it's partying whether it's DWI whether it's political stances whatever it might be and I shouldn't lump in political stances with partying but it does affect your ability to keep sponsors and the money people behind the leagues, um, you know, uh, in, in you know, in love with you, that's a tough thing. So and it's become more prevalent now because of the always-on nature of life. 
She's quite the female role model, but she's also the role model of getting started in sports. So picture this. She's in the 70s. She goes as a race fan earlier in life. She is turned down in the gasoline alley area. She can't go in because she's a woman and girl. And here's a lady who comes back and says, not only are I going in, but I'm starting in this race. And then she hires a company, a sports management company. They do nothing for her the first year. Said, goodbye. You know, I can do nothing for myself. And ended up creating all of her sponsorships from whole cloth by herself. A really tremendous woman. Could you imagine her earnings power now? You know, and again, put a different situation on it. I, you know, whatever the first of anything is. Could you imagine if she were the first Chinese woman uh, Formula One driver or NASCAR driver or open wheel driver? You know, what what that would mean for her sponsorship possibilities and what it would mean in this day and age to be the first of anything at that pioneering level, what she could have cashed in on. And of course, Sports Illustrated called her one of the top 100 women athletes uh, in history. And now we'll, we're going to have a special sponsorship category for her. I'll see her at the Indy 500. I'll tell her you and I have hatched something. Right. She is now a racing grandmother. She right. races every <laughs> month, and she is probably the oldest grandmother. Ra- I- I'm not sure, Lynn, I'm sorry, but I know you want that out there. Maybe there was a more artful way of putting it, but we'll talk about it later. Well, you, you know what's interesting? And we look at racing. Let, let's go back to racing for a sec, because yeah. I think two different things happened to me. I've seen two different things in the last few weeks happen that were interesting. First off, a few days ago, news broke. Uh, NASCAR has hired Goldman Sachs. Yeah. You're thinking NASCAR and Goldman Sachs. That's already, uh, yeah. uh, you know, middle America it, it, and New right. York elites. Kind of quasi-oxymoron. Yeah, right. right? But, but they've hired Goldman Sachs to, to sell NASCAR. NASCAR has a ratings problem, apparently, which I think will lead to a sponsorship problem, um, which rolls into a financial situation where it's time maybe for the owning family to to. To take a look and, and the, the table. and the founding family, the founding family, right? Yeah, Seventy that, years ago, right? Yeah. That they, somebody said. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think they're talking about uh, you know uh, aging fan base, all that thing. Like, how do you make it relevant again? Then last week before this happened, I was at the Twitter New Fronts, mm. where Twitter releases for advertisers all previews all of its programming. Is that like for an the next year? Of, it's it, yeah. it's, it's okay. a web upfront, right? And uh, all the big web operations had them last week, and. Uh, Twitter, one of the big sports deals was around the special Formula mm. One programming. Yeah. And we know John Malone just made a move right. into Formula One. So, again, if you take NASCAR, you know, repackage it digitally and maybe to a different audience, international, but you're able to target your efforts around social media, extract some revenue from there, there might be a different model emerging. Um, but the racing industry is interesting because there's really no global bounds on it. Okay. It has different identities around the world, right? So. I, what, what's your take on it? Do you think that one? Let's talk. Let's talk about Indy, and then we'll talk, go back to NASCAR a little bit and, and dig into that. Well, we'll talk about Indy for a second, and yeah. then we, again, we'll 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 ask Mark Miles, who runs this whole thing, right. some specific questions before the Indy 500 and talk about it. Mm. But the idea of globalization, Formula One, that's open wheel, same mm. kind of cars, yeah. just on streets. And Steve Ross, who owns the Dolphins, he has mm. a RSV, his 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 spinoff company, mm. is making a bid to be a promoter to bring the Formula One for the first time in the United States in Miami, which Miami would be a perfect place for right, Formula right, One. Right. And the bottom line is globalization. Now, years ago, the Indy company, Indy 500 Motor Speedway, wouldn't have been capable of being part of that discussion because mm. of the big rift they had. Yeah. Now that it's resolved, there will be some kind of coordination. It's a global sport. Right. There is no cap on it. The superstars are not necessarily Americans, but Fittipaldi and mm. then Shoemaker right, and right, Hamilton right. over there. I think it's Schumacher. So, oh, so Schumacher. Now, right. you know, Calaruso is giving me an English <laughs> lesson, by the way. It's quite a German lesson, actually. It's a German lesson. Via wherever you're from. So, you know, the bottom line of all of this is, is, is the indie 
NASCAR business is doing very well right. because of the international ties right. on it, and, which, by the way, NASCAR doesn't have. And, and, and Right. Well, that's an interesting thing. You know, last year, two years ago, you and I were at a hockey game together, right. and we, didn't we meet the guys who marketed the the Austin? Yeah. The Austin uh, yes, the Austin Grand Prix. Formula, Gra- the, Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was a huge success, right? Huge were, success. Yeah. But now they're looking. Vegas wants a big Formula One, which right. they can do with convention money. And now with the Knights and the and the football team, right. and Miami wants it because if you think international destination in South America, and all you think Miami, yeah. if there is really competition now for open wheel racing, it's good for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now absolutely. NASCAR, because I know mean, we want to talk about it just a bit. Fran- yeah. yeah, for a minute. France family founded it. It is incredible that they're thinking about selling. There is a consolidation of executives between NASCAR and ISC. Remember ISC, Speedway Corporation, right. the public company that. Uh, um, um, owns the tracks and the assets, and NASCAR is a sanctioning body. So the real question is, can you sell? There were antitrust issues before. What do you sell? How do you divide the assets? This is the beginning, and there's a little bit of a chink in the armor right, for right, the first right. time. We'll just see how it plays out. Right, and we can't leave the show without mentioning esports. Formula One just signed a huge esports deal right. uh, in Europe, and and that's becoming, it, they actually have a Grand Prix, an esport Grand Prix, and I think the purse is like two hundred grand. Right. So again, esports seeping into reality. Not only seeping, we'll have another discussion for another day about whether we think these esports participants are athletes. But we can't talk about that right now because everybody has an opinion, and we'll deal with that some other time. Do a Rick, poll. We'll do a poll. We'll do a poll. That's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Colorusso poll on whether esport participants are athletes. Ricardo, see you soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer Alex Cohen, associate producer Freddie Joiner. Assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score. <laughs>